Hi, ladies. So we are approaching the end of our book slash digital Bible study. And the next few episodes will pretty much end in our strategies um, that Miss Priscilla Shire has suggested. And we do know that prayer does work. Um, it has been a pleasure. I'm definitely going to be posting some other things on this podcast um, just to, you know, kind of encourage each other and for us to stay focused and to continue to walk in victory. So it has been a pleasure. Without further ado, let's jump right into our last series um, with this book. I am going to post the Amen. She has an Amen section that kind of just, it's like a benediction and closing out of the book. But I really hope you guys enjoyed this. You can always go back and play this. I will leave this up on my podcast in the previous episodes, but I do want you to stay tuned to my podcast link. Um, Well, it's not really my podcast link, but you know, God has guided me to this. Um, So you guys can come on and just see what's going on and how we can encourage each other in the Lord. Well, without further ado, let's jump right into it. Strategy number seven, your purity, staying strong in your most susceptible places. If I were your enemy, I'd tempt you towards certain sins, making you believe they are basically, even biologically, unavoidable. I'd study your tendencies and proclivities till I learned the precise conditions that make you the most likely to indulge them. And then I'd strike right there, again and again. Wear you down, because if I can't separate you from God forever, I can at least set you at odds with him for the time being. Don't touch that. You don't know where it's been. I've said it to my three sons time and time again. Wonder how many other little kids have heard their parents say something similar, usually while lunging across the playground or the sandbox, horrified at their son's or daughter's unsanitary sense of curiosity. I know I'm not your mama, but I do think of you as a friend. And when it comes to the enemy's specific, strategic, most enticing temptations against you and against your purity, I hope you'll imagine me as a blur coming up fast in your peripheral vision, calling out to you with an urgent voice, both arms waving wildly. Don't touch that because both of us know exactly where it's been. That enticing temptation that tickles your curiosity piques your interest and placates your personal proclivities has been festering in the devil's sick, sinister mind all morning, all week, all year, maybe, just sitting there soaking up vileness and filth, cruelty and conspiracy, waiting for the right time, the moment when you are most weakened and susceptible to attack. But once he's cleaned it up for presentation, sliding it meticulously into view, You'd think it was the shiniest, most desirable bit of unclaimed satisfaction you've ever seen. 
He sets it out there where your eyes can't help but be drawn toward it. At least, you know, to pick it up and look at it, feel it, play with it. The moral compromise, the unhealthy habit, the enticing addiction, the allure towards sexual impurity. Do you think their uncanny ability to show up when you happen to be exhausted or hungry or lonely is just coincidence? Don't you detect some design at work in the timing, the placement, the luggage? Look at what we know from Satan's temptation of Christ in Matthew 4. The devil came out into the wilderness where Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, a time when, physically speaking, the Lord was hungry, alone, tired, depleted. What better setup and situation to make the suggestion of, well, bread? I mean, I don't know about you, but slide a warm roll in my direction, topped with a smear of soft butter, and I'm a goner. Even when I'm not hungry. But that's the enemy's way. Precision, personalization, and persistence. He's always scouting for what Luke's gospel describes as the opportune time. The moment when a well-placed temptation is most likely to be its most irresistible. So again, I ask... The devil's temptations, the ones he picks out and personalizes for you. Coincidence? Uncalculated? Just happenstance? Stop and see what's happening. Stop at the place where you first recognize the scent of temptation in the air. And before you touch it, remember. Remember where it's been. Remember where it came from and who's behind it. And if it's one of those repeat temptations you've been battling against for years, remember the places it's taken you, the places it always ends up taking you. Because as soon as you say yes to it, you're headed there again, and you know it. The kind of prayer strategy we're about to employ treats every temptation as the potent, life-threatening stick of dynamite that it is. Despite how inviting it seems, despite how natural it feels, despite how much simpler the rest of your day would seem to go if you just gave in and went along with it. Temptations are never innocuous. The consequences are never minimal. The waves of your choice will ripple outward into your heart, mind, soul, and body, possibly even to future generations. Sin has consequences, always has and always will. Keep this revelation fixed squarely in your mind because whether we like it or not, here's how the spiritual economy of life works for believers. Obedience to God garners intimacy and nearness, divine blessing and favor, always. And disobedience creates a sense of distance and loss, grief and regret, always. Sometimes the consequences of caving to temptation are practical and tangible, changing your daily experience drastically enough in certain cases to fundamentally affect the rest of your life. But no matter how immediately noticeable the cost, the ripple effects of sin always affect your connection with the Father. And this, this is exactly what the enemy is hoping for. It's why he is so personalized and meticulous in his advances to tempt you. Impurity weakens your praying, which in turn weakens your power. When our lives are not aligned with the teaching of scripture and the transforming work of God's spirit, when we're resisting his wise, loving instruction concerning our lifestyle and attitudes, our prayer closets start to feel like soundproof rooms. 
Our spiritual armor becomes little more than the plastic painted stuff they sell as a kit in a toy section at the Christian bookstore. The energy we expect our prayers to access and generate is momentarily choked off and shorted out. We've compromised the system. We've created a bottleneck. We're leaking oil, leaking power. We end up, in practical terms, living like the double-minded man in the New Testament book of James, who the Bible says should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because he's unstable in all his ways.